I don't want to talk about politics tonight. <laughs> One side is very pro-gun. The other side is very anti-gun. I don't think they thought through that strategy. <laughs> Women's sports? Still way too competitive for me. So what I think I'm going to start doing is identifying as a kid. Start playing peewee football. And I think gluten is the Donald Trump of the food world. A lot of people say they're intolerant. Most of those people go home and crave it, don't they? Joe Biden died two years ago. Did y'all ever see the movie Weekend at Bernie's? Push him out on stage. Uh, time to give a speech, Joe. <laughs> And joining me today is a comedian whose new stand-up special, Please Censor This, is out now exclusively on Locals. J.P. Sears, I don't know how this hasn't happened before, but finally, welcome to the Ruben Report. Right on. Well, thank you for having me, Dave. And it's been a pleasure to meet you in person a couple times. And I'm, I'm glad to be invited to the sacred garden of the Ruben <laughs> Report. <laughs> I honestly don't know how this hasn't happened before. We've bumped into each other many times over the years at, uh, at a lot of libertarian events, a lot of places where people are carrying American flags like right behind you back there. Uh, I obviously, I want to get into the special and talk comedy and all that stuff, but I guess first, uh, people don't associate comedians with freedom anymore, which is a very bizarre thing, uh, were you always kind of libertarian-ish, freedom-focused, blah, 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 or was it a bit of a pushback against all the woke insanity over the last couple of years? Yeah, it's, it, I wasn't always this way. It, it's, it's been a bit of a pushback. I mean, look, just like so many other people, and I'll admit it, I was living in a bubble of ignorance and entitlement, just thinking, well, this is America. Like, why? You don't have, need to worry about freedom. Like, we can take it for granted. Uh, surprise, uh, it turns out that's not the case. And I, I don't like that I lived in the bubble of ignorance, but I did until our freedom started getting taken away. And you just see, if you study patterns of history, you see where it could go if we allow it. So that, that helped me realize freedom's my number one value. Like everything great in life depends on freedom. And my my child being able to have a great life and his children one day, they need freedom. So, you know, I, I, I used to just never be in the politics, couldn't even tell you what the difference between a Democrat and a Republican was. But looking back, I could see like, yeah, yeah uh, I leaned liberal uh, and it was kind of cool, but not anymore. I have a freedom. <laughs> Yeah, well, we played a little bit of the stand-up special uh, as the cold open for the show, and I'm sure most of my audience knows you from, from YouTube and, and Rumble and elsewhere. Um, are you surprised that so many comics went woke? I mean, there are a ton of guys I talk about on the show all the time who I used to love and admire, who were my comic influences, some of them my friends, who then just went off the deep end with this woke politically Correct. I mean, that's the that's the danger, really. Not just woke, but politically correct and language freezing stuff that has led us to all this. Um, I, to be honest with you, I have been surprised that so many comedians have gone woke because you, you I think of a comedian as sort of the the rebel against the system. 
the system of corruption. I think the most important thing about comedy is the truth principle. So at its core, I consider comedians to be people who represent truth and they do it in a fun way and be goofy and insane along the way. So, you know, as you see a lot of people in the country go woke, I would have expected a lesser percentage of comedians to do that. Um, I can understand why they might. I mean, I, I think if someone outsources their power and success to other people, whether it's a you know the audience a network or trying to get picked up by some kind of agency, I can see that that's my only hypothesis why someone would <laughs> abandon the truth principle and and cater to political correctness when they're comedians. So. I'm not totally sure, but that's my hypothesis on why some haven't. By the way, you know, and and the ones who haven't, man, they're like it's a great time for business for comedians who just want to represent the truth, no matter who's speaking the hypocrisies. And you know, I, I watch Ryan Long, Tyler Fisher, these guys who just shoot straight arrows and, and it's great. And it, and I think it's, I love seeing a lot of people discover them because there's not a lot of competition for unwoke comedians. It, you know, Jim Brewer is certainly in that category. He's been huge for forever though. I opened for Jim Brewer at Caroline's in New York city, probably 2002. No another lifetime ago. He was taking bong hits in the green room before the show and he hands me the bong and I'm like, I, I, dude, this is like my, it was like my first like big break or something. I was like, I am not taking a bong hit before I walk out. And he crushed it. The guy was baked out of his mind. He absolutely <laughs> crushed it. That's hilarious. Um, so, okay. So the title of the special is please censor this. And I thought that that was particularly apropos because you launched on Locals, which obviously everyone knows. I started Locals as a, as a, a, a wall, in essence, against big tech censorship. Um, did you think about releasing, you know, exclusively on YouTube or just there's a litany of places where you could have done it, but you did it with us. So um, I'm pretty happy about that. Yeah, you know, I, I thought about all the possibilities and to be honest with you, Dave, for a while, uh, I thought it was defeated. Uh, you know, I, there was a lot of adversity to bring the special to the world and the, the times of censorship we live in. And uh, I'll, I remember the my one of my best friends on the planet, he directed this special. His name's Brent Pella. He and I were in San Diego doing shows for a weekend uh, late last year. And I said, bro, I don't, I, I'm ready to do a special. I want to. I don't think I can. Obviously, the the typical places, Netflixes and Amazons, given the nature of the content I'm doing on stage, they're not going to have it. It's just way removed from the mainstream narrative. I couldn't even release it on YouTube for free if I wanted mm. to. That would get my channel deleted like that. And then... Uh, my friend is like a wise sage. He said, JP, do you know how much of an idiot you are? I said, kind of, but tell me more. And, and he said, you don't need a distributor. Like you, you've got a 6 million person audience. Quit thinking in the old paradigm. You are the distributor. So that really helped me open my eyes. And then uh, along the way, the idea of like, well, let's reach out to locals and rumble, see if we can do some kind of 
partnership to just get this thing out to the world. And that value alignment about what I stand for, what the comedy and the special represents and what locals represents. It's just that that was perfect value alignment. And it's just been such a joy to get the special out to the world, I think, in a beautiful way. You know, if I did it completely independently, you know, had some sort of weird servers in my garage to house the special <laughs> and I'm screwing stuff up, I I would have been proud to do that. But it's just great to get it out with an, a, a very established, beautiful platform that, that actually brings the community together. I, I love that aspect. It's been yeah. such a great bonus. Oh, well, I'm thrilled to hear that. I mean, and that's exactly what it's all about. We, we want people that have audiences, whether they're comedians or actors or politicians or shoe salesmen, we want them to be able to reach their people and we just give you the tools to do it and then, and then you go from there. Um, are you c like completely out of whatever would be considered the LA comedy world? You know, I've, I've cut ties with CAA. I have nothing to do with it anymore. Are you like just completely out of that world altogether? Yeah, I, I would say I'm very much removed from the Hollywood world in the sense of I have nothing on my bucket list that involves Hollywood whatsoever. Occasionally I'll, I'll get people reaching out. They're doing an independent film and like me to consider a part in that. And it, and I'm willing to consider it because it's independent. There's not some big woke China backed BS ESG uh, entity behind it. So I'm, I love creativity and I love what I stand for. So when there's value alignment, I'm willing to consider, Oh, an independent film, things like that. But the beautiful thing is life is so great. You know, I get so much fulfillment connecting with people, releasing weekly videos, doing my standup, having my family. So there's nothing else that I need. And man, I'll tell you, it's so great to be completely unenslaved to the Hollywood system and those kind of powerhouses where you see what happens, what people do to themselves to stay in line. It, it's, it's they, they sell their soul, they abandon their principles and that's no way to live. No, and then and then you've got, we've done a bunch on him lately, you got guys like Jimmy Kimmel who used to be politically incorrect and, you know, doing all of that stuff, Carl Malone in blackface, et cetera, and now he's the most woke, politically correct person there is. It's it's a real flip on things. Isn't it mind-boggling? And, you know, you mentioned Jimmy Kimmel, Howard Stern. I mean, these people oh, that's who, the one. they gained admiration because of their balls and wittiness for standing up against the establishment. Now, I'm not like stand up against the establishment just to do it, but like corruption in the establishment, taking advantage of people, that kind of thing. But now you see these guys, they're like, oh, dude, these checks are pretty large. Uh, maybe we'll become the establishment. It's just a weird mutation to see in front of our eyes. And you see it with so many of them. I mean, Sarah Silverman's another one. Like these people who were, they were edgy. Like they went for, it's not just like, oh, I was kind of like out there a little. I'm talking like the, the fringe case edgy comedians who then became the most politically correct. It's, I could do all day on that. Do you ever long for the old days of comedy? Like if you were to open up my, uh, my YouTube on my TV, 
I'm watching old Johnny Carson. Yeah. I'm, I'm watching all the, all the legends of years long gone by. But the idea that you could do stand up for a couple of years, you, you get that five minutes, you sit down with Carson, you get the sitcom. Like there was something really nice to the machine, yeah. as beautiful as all this freedom is, where in our day, it's like, there is nobody to go to. There's nobody's that, I, I don't care to be on Kimmel or Colbert or, or anything else, which is exactly what you're saying. Yeah. But there was a magic to it in a way. Yeah, you know, they, there's the nostalgia. That that was the olden days. And, and I was never a professional comedian during that time. So it's just all looking back. And, and I think it's a cool time to reminisce about. But there's no part of me that wishes it was that day. You know, yeah. outside of like the cool moments, like if you got to sit down with Carson, like, dude, of course, like that's yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah. But there was so much outsourced power then. Like yeah. people couldn't take control of their own destiny. And I think self-responsibility is the greatest superpower people have. I think it's the most un underutilized power in our country. People are waking it up, uh, waking up to it, luckily. But I, I love the idea of like now you take destiny in your own hands. If you work hard, you're consistent, you put stuff out online. If you're consistent with it and you have some level of DNA to actually do comedy, you will build an audience. You will, whether it's big, small, fast, slow, that's, you know, that's a variable, but nobody needs to wait around being discovered by the, the industry anymore. So I just love the empowerment aspect of how it is today. And censorship's a bit of a, uh, dragon in that, but for the, aside from that, we we have a lot of power in our hands, and I love it. Yeah, and it's on you, and it's like if you work harder and you get better at your craft, some good things will probably happen. Not always, but I'd rather it be on me than than on an agent or or on a machinery that uh, that I can't control. Let me let's let's jump off comedy for just a sec because you are in Texas, yeah. but you are in the Austin area of Texas, the weird area. And when I talk to other people from Texas, let's say my friends at The Blaze over in Dallas, they often wonder what the high hell's going on in Austin. So wh what is it like to be in a sort of blue-ish area in a state that hopefully is about to go even redder? We'll, we'll see what happens over the next couple of days. Yeah, well, redder the better, in my opinion. And that's yeah. not just my uh, ginger lives <laughs> politics talking day. By the way, the hair matching the uh, flag behind you, really. Thank you. Point. I'm yeah. grateful I was born in America. It sucked to be born <laughs> in Ukraine with incompatible flag colors. Um, I love Austin. Austin has some of the, the best people who are purpose-driven, soulful, and really going after their dreams and contributing to a, a better world. Now, there's certainly some leftist stuff about how the city of Austin is run that I don't agree with. And you certainly get some, you know, plenty of uh, eyes glazed over mass formation, hip, uh, psychosis addicts. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, I, I actually kind of like that, Dave, because nobody, I think maybe we all want to live in an echo chamber, but one of the worst things for us would be to just live in an echo chamber. So, I uh, true diversity, in my opinion, is having a diversity of perspectives. And I like that. But at the same time, because Austin is in Texas, 
there's plenty of like-minded people. You know, I, I've talked to people all over the country and one of the biggest pains that folks report is, I feel like I'm the only one. Mm -hmm. living in San Francisco, Portland. It, so there's a lot of community here. And a few months ago, we, we moved to a ranch about an hour outside of Austin. So now it's, I mean, we're in real Texas country now. So <laughs> it's just, you know, if someone drives by, you know, we were just in uh, downtown, the town where we live uh, in a coffee shop and someone drove by with a vote for Beto bumper sticker. And it's just so cool how like, dude, that's shocking. We saw that out here. That yeah. someone driving by with a big Trump bumper sticker in downtown Portland. It's funny because, you know, I'm, I'm here in Florida, which is obviously, you know, it's DeSantis country, DeSantis stand, depending on who you talk to. And there's one guy in my neighborhood with a Charlie Chris sign. And it's like, it actually, of course, it kind of seems funny to me, but I keep thinking one day I'm going to be walking my dog and I want to meet this person because what could possibly be going on in their head to live in the freest place and not want that freedom? However, I respect their uh, desire, of course, yeah. to vote however they wish. Yeah, man, I, I like to understand what, like, cool, why? Uh, one of my best friends, we were sitting around election night about two years ago, and we're just talking like, hey, here's who I voted for. And uh, just one person out of the group said, yeah, I voted for Biden. And it was so cool to just want to understand him. And it was a beautiful, connective conversation. And we didn't agree, but that didn't mean we had to divide or not like each other. It's, it was very interesting to learn, oh, that's why you voted for Biden. By the way, talk to him now. And he's like, dude, I regret it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, him along with apparently 81 million other people. I think uh, a lot of the, I don't know if all 81, but you know, you know. Um, in terms of doing comedy for, let's say a more conservative or libertarian minded crowd, do you find that there are rails that you can't touch on that side that maybe you wish you could touch, but you can't quite get to because of maybe more religious issues, that kind of thing? You know, um, I'm sure there's rails, but I haven't hit them yet. Um, you know, just, just recently, I, I've really noticed, especially in my standup, I'm shifting the material, you know, release a special and got now generate a lot of new material. And I'm shifting the material from doing sometimes bashing the left as a butt of jokes to now it's much more self-deprecating of a conservative, libertarian minded person, which is Great. I mean, I love to honor what I love by making fun yeah. of it. And also it's like, if you can't laugh at yourself, you've got problems. So as I'm doing that, I haven't found the rails yet. Though in the past, I can say when, before I got into politics, I'm doing stand up and I would do some level of Jesus kind of joke there. You can tell like, all right, they're, there's some folks who that was a, a hot button for them and maybe it came across disrespectfully. Maybe it was just a good joke and they didn't like it. I don't know. But the past experiences, I think the religious piece probably is the biggest uh, challenge when it comes to the conservative crowd to, you know, dance well with as opposed to just offend. 
Yeah, it's super interesting because obviously my, my credentials and biography are not fully in line with say what a, a conservative audience would be showing up to. And yet I get nothing but love from these people. And even when I, even when I get close to whatever that line might be, or say something that makes them a little bit uncomfortable that they haven't thought about before, it's like, it's all good. There really is a sense of like, it's all good. We're, yeah, we get that we can all be a little bit different and it's okay. Yeah, and, and I'm, I would guess with people who, who watch you, see you and, and sing with me, they're watching us because they already know us. They, mm -hmm. they love us, they appreciate us. So there's already a big rapport built out of the countless videos of yours they've seen. So there's that trust as opposed to just a comedian fresh off the street going into the showroom, the audience doesn't know who they are, less trust. So they, they can probably get away with less because they just don't know exactly where that person's heart is, but they know where your heart is. They know where my heart is. How many years did you spend grinding through the clubs? I, I did it for a long time, man. A long, I started in uh, May of 98, right after college, a week after graduating college. And I was doing standup for, many, for at least a decade, like six nights a week. And then the last couple of years before I left New York, then I was a little bit less, started getting into podcasting. I saw the frontier, the new frontier developing, eventually moved out to LA, now back here. But how many years were you like in the grind of, you know, you're one of 10 on the show, they don't know who you are. By the time you get going, you gotta get off stage, et cetera. Zero. And, Zero. And <laughs> wow, the, I admire the that. I took, I so don't recommend but here's the route I took. You know, I, I got known on, on YouTube and just online videos first. So the audience was built up and then I got into standup. And, and I had already sort of been doing a bit of standup before I knew it, because once I started getting known, different conferences would come in, mm. hire me to come in and speak. And they're like, ah, oh, why don't you do some comedy? I'm like, well, cool, that makes sense. So I was practicing it for a while without having it in the frame of my mind as stand-up. And, and so as I was starting stand-up, I already had an audience. And here's what I don't recommend. I just jumped into the deep end because I didn't know any better. It's like, all right, let's start headlining shows now. And <laughs> I'm doing five shows in this city rather than just starting slow. So it was very stressful. And also, like looking back at my beginning stand-up, I'd say like, I'm pretty embarrassed about it. it. I mean, everybody is of their old stuff. That's of, how it is. That's how it is. Of course. So it was good enough to give people a, a value and they, they had love. It, it was great. But the stand-up sucked. So it luckily, though, it, it was probably just barely good enough that it wasn't a complete train wreck because jumping into the deep end, starting the headline pretty much right away, it's not the recommended course of action. If that gets derailed, it's sort of like, well, uh, project failed. Uh, so I, I had a bit of a unique route, which again, I don't recommend. And honestly, I didn't even, I didn't know how normal comedians like started, like I wasn't listening to Joe Rogan's podcast, how he talks about it. I was just ignorance is bliss. And here's the way it's suggested to be by some team members. And I was like, all right, let's do that. You know, it's so funny how everyone's story is a little bit different because so when I started, 
uh, Carson had retired already, so Leno took over, but Leno wasn't putting comics on the way Carson was. And I saw all of these guys that I was coming up with that all wanted to get on The Tonight Show. And I was like, but he's not really putting anybody on The Tonight Show. He's not making stars the way Carson is. And then because of that, after a couple of years, I heard about this thing called a podcast. I didn't even know what it was. I kid you not, did not know how to download. I didn't even know what it was that was on the phone. I wasn't even sure, but I had a guy who knew something about audio and I started doing a little podcast early on. And I think I just followed that path. So everyone, either you become the YouTube star first and then you figure it out after, or you just do it any, any which way. I guess yeah. that gets to your freedom point of, of doing something for yourself. Yeah. You know, it's with great freedom comes great responsibility <laughs> and it's liberating and it's also scary. You know, the, the scary part is there's no definitive structure that you need to walk on. So there's less security, there's less predictability, there's probably a fair bit more having to figure it out and therefore probably make a lot of errors and mistakes. Um, what, what year did you start the podcast? I started in 98. 98, May no, of 98. You yeah. were doing a podcast in 98. Oh, no, 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 no. It started stand-up, sorry. Stand-up okay. May of 98. And then I started the podcast, my first, first podcast, probably 2006, something like that. Like That's it was- Still unbelievable. I, I didn't yeah. even have the internet at home in 2006. And you're doing yeah. a podcast. It was why I truly, I, I had a microphone, this this big machine on the desk. I don't know what the hell I was doing. I, and then suddenly I was getting emails and people were like, I'm listening to it. I did not even know how to put it on my own phone. I, I kid you not. Uh, wh what do you make about, uh, so obviously this, are, are we posting this before or after the election? I'm talking to my guys while we're, this is either going up before or after this coming election, but we're taping it before in full transparency. Okay, so I'm just told we're posting this after but we're taping this before the election. What do you make of the general temperature of the country right now? I, I'm shocked that it doesn't seem more inflamed. It, that's it, interesting. And, and that's not to say there's complete peace by any stretch, but I just think back to the, the time before, in the, before the 2020 election and then that space between the election and the inauguration, Good Lord, that was a tense time. Now, I know this is not a presidential election, so that's part of it. But when you look at all the polling and it's like, all right, we, something weird really has to happen for there not to be a huge red wave. I'm surprised there's not more BS happening. I mean, we see the the media smearing manipulation, like a, a, a Donald Trump did that to Paul Pelosi. He, he's the one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they knew immediately it was a MAGA person. <laughs> Somehow they know. The, the nudist, the BLM nudist that shows up at the house. Yeah, yeah. big MAGA person. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm pleased with how peaceful things have been. I'm pleased that more than any other election that I can think of, people seem to care. They seem to be ready to get out to vote, whichever way they want to vote. Uh, they they know we're we're living in a, a time and place. This the state of things. This is not sustainable. They know things need to change. So I love seeing the motivation happening as well. And uh, then you know, looking at the different races, there's hilarious stuff going on. Like cool, the Fetterman debate. Like I thought Biden was fun to watch. Like. Pfft. <laughs> He's got nothing on Fetterman. That's a joy. 
so yeah, I, I think it's a cool time and I, I hope things are straightforward, honest with results. And uh, uh, yeah, I, I have hoped that we'll have continued relative peace rather than escalated inflammation. But what, one thing I will say, if I wanted to be pessimistic is I would be worried about what the media will do. You know, if, if things don't go their way and it's looking like it's not going to go the way the mainstream media tries to sway things. You just never know what they'll do to try to uh, manipulate people who are no longer being manipulated by them. I mean, what kind of fear mongering smears lies? I mean, we've seen it all. So how much worse could it get? I don't know, but maybe worse. So. Um, yeah. Well, it's interesting because, you know, before you were, you were saying how, you know, comedy, it's so connected to truth or it should be so connected to truth. And it's like, man, the media, I always say, it's like, you guys don't have to be great, but just don't be completely horrible, but they seem unable. I mean, almost completely without exception, there's a couple exceptions, um, unable to, to stop themselves and stop the lying. And they're like, they're just so in on it. They're in on, they're in on the big lie, so to speak. Yeah, they are, aren't they? And, and I think given, given their jobs. Now we know the narrative of what their job is. Journalists, uh, that's not the reality. Their jobs are giving polarized opinions. And we know the polarized opinions are always heavily leaning left. So, you know, a, a golden retriever wants to retrieve, period. And the media wants to propagandize that's what they do. So, you know, I honestly, I pray for those people. I, I, I certain, because uh, they're all good people at heart, I think their behavior isn't, but I pray for those people that they connect to a greater sense of purpose that get, I mean, one of the greatest gifts we can have is the fulfillment we get by contributing to the betterment of another person or people. Now they do the opposite of that. But I just pray for them that they they make some choices that allow themselves to get fulfilled. Like Carrie Lake's story is so inspiring for mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. She was so successful in the media, but she couldn't. She just couldn't take the idea of lies, lies, lies. She couldn't take the feeling of unfulfillment. So she made a different choice. And now she's really doing a great job of working on contributing to the betterment of uh, a lot of people. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, we, we talk about it on the show a lot. It's like, we can all focus on politics all the time, but this isn't exactly a political problem. It, it's a spiritual problem or a yeah. personal problem. And if we can solve that at the ground level, then maybe we can solve the rest of it. Yeah, I, I think we need, uh, I think before any politician goes into office, they need to do some deep inner child work. It's, it's, <laughs> you can quit compensating for how unloved you felt as a kid or abuse you might have went through. If you can quit compensating for that, you're probably going to be doing a lot better job, be a lot less corrupt, a lot less control and power hungry, and more service oriented. So it's funny that you know, even hearing you say that, it, you know, obviously I, I'm here in Florida. I love DeSantis, but it's not. I always say it's not because of like that I worship politicians. 
It's like he's a guy who happened to step into this thing and then has fought for our freedoms. He's not out there like, you owe me this. This is the power I want over you. I, I think whether he knew it or not, he did some of that, that child work. Yeah, that inner child stuff. You know, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. And and DeSantis served in the military, so he's he's got perspective of what really matters. I, I don't know his exact military field experiences, but he's probably had things put in perspective. And I think when people have things put into perspective, you know, for me, having my son was a big piece of that. You realize how much power and control just don't matter. There's such a worthless currency compared to the currency of connection, contribution, joy. I mean, hell, even laughter for that matter. So uh, some of my favorite politicians are the ones that don't want to be politicians. They're called to do it in order yeah. to serve. JP, I give you my word that locals will never censor you. <laughs> that's, that's number one. Uh, number two, we're going to link to the special right down below. And uh, this will either go down as a, a great interview or a completely haywire interview, depending on what happens during the election, since we're taping it before and releasing it after. But we ain't editing it either way. So we'll see what happens. We should do two versions where we make predictions <laughs> one way, just so we can look at like psychics. The red waves are coming. The red waves are coming. JP Sears, thank you, my friend. Good to see you. Great to see you, Dave. Thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning into the Rubin Report. Don't forget to review, share, and subscribe to this podcast. If you're looking for early and exclusive content, you can join me on Locals at rubinreport.locals.com.